Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dan Cadmus is a life coach, health coach, writer, and overall inspiring guy. He has an amazing story to tell. He went from being obese, addicted to a number of substances, and at the end of his rope, to losing 180 pounds, recovering from his addictions, and finding a better path in life. The initial catalyst for his dietary and overall lifestyle transformation was his discovery of meditation. Dan has completed his health coach certification through the Dr. Sears Wellness Institute. He is now inspired to help others better themselves in similar ways, using the knowledge and insight picked up along his journey. You can find him on Twitter, at Daniel Cadmus. Dan Cadmus, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. This is uh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute honor to host you. When I saw your story, I mean, I didn't even finish reading the whole thing before I was reaching out to you to get you scheduled. It's such an amazing um, <laughs> and cool story. And what a, what an amazing journey of growth. And um, yeah, just kind of has a little bit of everything, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride, to say the least. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, before we dive into that, I want to talk to you a little bit about rap. You um, got pretty proficient in <laughs> the rap world. How did that come about? I did, I did. Um, yeah, it's funny. The two uh, non-related uh, fields, for sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was always, uh, growing up, I had an older brother. Um, he's eight and a half years older than me, so... Um, you, you know, I grew up with a lot of nineties hip hop that I still, you, you know, it's always kind of been my, um, my number one type of genre of music that I enjoyed, um, grew up listening to that and hearing it from his room and eventually kind of just, you know, high school messing around, uh, at parties, different things like that. I would, you know, do stupid freestyles here, there, and, and slowly, but surely got pushed by my friends. You know, you, you need to really try this. You need to do this. Um, and then just, just kind of dove down the rabbit hole, um, started trying to take it seriously. Um, I, you know, stopped, stopped going to school and, and took that full time, uh, that seriously full time and, and just pursued it as a career. And there was a ton of, um, a ton of really cool experiences. I met people, and worked with people that I had only dreamed, uh, dreamt of meeting for like before, uh, saw places and, and visited new cities that I'd never been to. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, but unfortunately, you know, just the person I was at the time, I was, I wasn't very well equipped to, uh, to handle those type of pressures. And so that, that was what led me to stopping. Wow. I can't imagine what that pressure would be like to perform and travel around and everything. That must've been really difficult. So you mentioned nineties rap, a two part question. Mm -hmm. Who, who was your favorite sure. rapper? Mm -hmm. And then who was the best rapper just of all time? That's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, uh, I would have to say as far as like that, that I, I can give you a list. I can't give you top um but as far as like influences in, in the music i made um i'd have to say a tribe called quest um wu-tang um nas for sure biggie for sure um and and even like probably if i had to choose one group though it was wu-tang and their individual members and their uh like their solo careers definitely influenced me the most. I, I don't think I could pick a best of all time. I really don't. But, uh, <laughs> but those, those are all, all my, my top, I would say most deaf in there as well. 
Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. It's funny, like a mm. you know, little white kid living in the suburbs of Salt Lake City. I wasn't exactly <laughs> in the ghetto, but I remember like middle school, high school going through a rap phase and thinking I could relate to like Puff Daddy and Biggie and like living in the ghetto, like not, <laughs> not, not, not right, the same right. life. <laughs> That's awesome. Definitely not. And and let me also reiterate, I definitely was not from the ghetto. I was from, you know, Long Island suburbia as well. Um, so my my entire thing was more using that style of music to relate to things that I knew or, or that type of stuff. Definitely, definitely was not any, uh, any type of like hard living experience either. <laughs> Have to get out of the way, that out of the way and not try to pretend that was something else. <laughs> gotcha. Um, what was the, pr- the creative process of coming up with a song? Like, is, that, is it something that just kind of comes to you or would you like sit down and like try to write? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's actually funny because it was, um, it, it, w- it would be a beat or something like that that would kind of get me going and I would attempt to sit down and write. Um, but once again, j- just the person I was at the time, uh, it was really hard for me to actually sit down and um, like chunk out some good material where it would, it, my, my phone notes were just filled with random ideas throughout the day. And that's kind of what I based it off of. And I would um, piece these little rhymes together and, and think of concepts for songs. And then kind of just eventually it would flow together and I would iterate on it and keep changing and changing until something fit together. But it's, it's funny how, you know, you you progress as a person because now that I write, you know, articles and more like long form type of um, like material, I sit, I I have learned where I, I, you know, every day I have about a two hour block that I sit down and force myself to write. And I've kind of dropped that um, perfectionist mentality that I used to have where if it wasn't perfect, I would obsess over it. And it's more, to me, important to just get something down, put in the work, and eventually, you know, you mold that into something you want rather than every time you you sit down the right does not have to be a home run. And that's something I definitely suffered from back in the day. Wow. Gotcha. Pretty hard. Wow. Stephen Pressfield talks yep. about that in his wonderful book, The War of Art, that it, the difference between yes. a professional and an amateur showing up, dude, like if you're a pro, yep. you show up, you do the work. It might not be perfect, but 9am you're at your table with the paper, whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's raining or not, you're there. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Awesome. I wish, uh, 25 year old me knew that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, you have become a fantastic writer. Um, we see that in your blogs, you, you do an amazing job and you captured the story of your journey through health, which is, um, the reason we're bringing you here, not just to talk about rap for an hour. (laughs) Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to kind of get that, um, recorded here in our show as well, that your story through health. So tell us a little bit about how that got started, um, your upbringing and how health kind of fit into your life. Yeah, sure. Um, so you know, I've had, um, I've had, I've struggled with my weight for honestly, as long as I can remember since, since a child, um, grew up in a, you know, an Italian family, you kind of know how that goes it's all about it. Like everything revolves around the meal around eating. Um, there's a lot of comfort in that, a lot of, um, emotional value in, in eating. And so I developed this tendency to, um, use food as a a coping mechanism and use food, um, you know, eat emotionally. So I I definitely suffered from, um, what I would say is, is a food addiction, sugar addiction for as long as I can remember. I just never understood what it was. So I was so heavily involved in sports as a kid. Um, I, baseball was my thing. I was on, you know, multiple teams traveling, that sort of thing. And it was my entire identity. And w- with that emotional eating and, and um, 
the using food and substances as a coping mechanism, like it had a lot to do with me losing and gaining identities throughout my life and, and like falling back on that, that type of a situation. So, um, you know, growing up, baseball was my entire life. Um, and so, you know, I, I always had a problem with my weight, but I was so active. I was playing baseball pretty much year round. Um, so it kept it kind of at bay, uh, so to speak. And there, like, I remember even, even, you know, although I was so active, I was always, you know, the, the big heavy kid on the team. I was a power hitter, a pitcher. I would play first, I would play third and everything I did had the, um, you know, the ending of like for a big guy. So I ah, moved pretty good for a big guy, whatever for a big guy, you know what I mean? So that's, that's been my life, my, my entire, uh, my entire childhood. You played all those positions. So, that's crazy. Yeah. So I mainly pitched, um, and then like would come out and go into third base. And then as I started to pitch more and more and on multiple teams, the idea was like, save the arm, move over to first. Mm. Um, so, but, um, so as, as I went into high school and, and had aspirations to play in college, um, eventually all that pitching kind of caught up to me. I injured my elbow and pretty much my pitching career was over. And so any hopes of playing in college um, were kind of over because at that point, pitching was my, you know, was my thing. It, it wasn't as much, you know, playing first or third or even like um, hitting. It, it was mainly if I was going to play in, in college, it was going to be to pitch. Um, so I actually lost the last, uh, 10 degrees of extension on my elbow permanently just from the continuous use over and over and over that, that, you know, like pounding of, of that joint. So, you know, when that ended and I was a kid in 11th grade, uh, unequipped to really deal with, with my first experience of, of losing an identity. Like I, I put all of my eggs in that basket. If you asked me from when I was seven years old, what I would have done, I would have told you baseball player. So, um, that, you know, that was all of a sudden done. And that's, that's, you know, 11th, 12th grade was when I first started, um, experiencing, you know, mental health issues and anxiety and depression and, and everything I've, I've struggled with, with those things. And again, using food as a coping mechanism, um, overeating rapidly gaining weight. And it kind of all spiraled into my twenties where things just got out of control. And so, Although I struggled with weight in my teens and, and as a child, it was never, it never crossed the line into like obesity and being extremely unhealthy and, and that type of a scenario. So, um, you know, I, I went into my twenties continuing to eat worse and worse, which once again, um, knowing what I know now, I think really contributed to the mental health struggles at the time as well. Um, you know, it's, it's all so closely connected as I'm sure you know. Um, so I, I kind of took on this persona of like the party animal kind of guy. Uh, I gave up on pretty much what was my identity at the time and, and embraced that. And with that came the music and this, I almost call it a like cartoon character persona of myself that I thought I had to lean into to be entertaining and to be what I thought everyone else wanted me to be. So I became that guy at parties who people would, I'm not even exaggerating, gather around to watch me chug a bottle of Jack Daniels because, Oof. you know, it was this cool thing that I could sit there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was this cool thing that I could sit there and, and take down, you know, a quarter of a bottle of Jack in one sitting. And, and, you know, we would go out to like wherever and I would, you know, take down X amount of burritos because it was funny and blah, blah, blah. You, you know what I mean? That kind of a, like almost the, um, 
the sad clown type of analogy. You know what sure. I mean? So I was this uh, cartoon character type of persona of myself. I started with music. Um, and it, it's funny because I consider myself pretty lucky. I never had, you know, every, everyone talks about times getting booed off stage times, you know, where this doesn't happen, that didn't happen. It, all, it was literally just an upward trajectory for, for my music career, the, as brief as it was. I hadn't experienced a single really negative experience. Every show I did got bigger. Every opportunity got bigger. Like I said earlier, I started meeting people I, I had only dreamed of meeting before. And, you know, I was trying to fake it until I made it. And I was just not the type of person or, or in 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 every single way imaginable, I just could not handle the pressure. And so I eventually folded. And because of the overwhelming anxiety, I stopped being able to write. I stopped being able to function. I, I mean, like I was always a wreck before shows, but it got even worse progressively. So, uh, you know, that just led me up to the point where I stopped. Um, and wow. that's about, you know, when I stopped, it was about 25, 26. Um, I, you know, to continue on the whole theme of this, just had a tendency to run from my problems, use, use substances to avoid everything, you know, sweep under the rug instead of dealing what was in front of me. So I moved away. I had some friends that um, moved out to Cincinnati after college. Um, they were living out there, like one of my best friends and his wife. They invited me into their home to come live with them. I, to this day, owe them uh, so much because none of this would have been possible without that. Um, but, you know, I thought I was going to be, this was going to change everything. Once again, I was, I couldn't take the shame of being a failure, what I thought was a failure in my hometown. Um, and so I moved to Cincinnati to, to kind of get away from it all. And what I discovered there was <laughs> I was just the same person with the same problems in a new place with less support. You know, I had great support with my two friends there, but that's not, you know, no family, no nothing, um, was depleting my savings, um, just a bunch of car issues, didn't have a job yet. So, you know, just an extreme uh, low point. And that that extreme low point is is what uh, kind of turned everything around because like my anxiety had reached such a terrible, terrible point um, where I couldn't take it anymore. And that led me to discover meditation. I was someone originally who was such a skeptic of anything, health and wellness, anything, you know, I viewed it as like, meditation in the same boat is like psychic readings or something, you know what I mean? So I was, uh, I was skeptical of everything. And so that's kind of just to show you how desperate I was at the time that that was, I finally reached a point where I was so desperate that I just was willing to try anything, tried meditation. And it, it just started the snowball that, that has been my life ever since. Um, got a job at FedEx, you know, getting some physical activity in shortly after that. I finally had something to like, you know, quiet the voices, so to speak, in my head and and to kind of help me deal with things on a more rational level, something that wasn't substances, you know, food or or alcohol or, or marijuana. So, um, you know, that continued. I started getting some physical activity from work, felt a little better. Meditation worked. I decided to try to start eating a little better. And it all snowballed uh, to me discovering low carb to things, you know, uh, continuing from there and led all the way up until where I am now. Um, you know, I continued with FedEx and continued to lose weight and, and just kind of learning as I went the ups and downs and it's, uh, it's all led me here. Wow. That's really incredible. I want to go back to that low point. Did you know yeah. you were in the rock bottom 
when it was there or was yeah. it something you look back on and said, Oh, that was the lowest point. No, I have a, so I, I've, I have a specific scenario. Um, it's obviously an embarrassing situation, but I'm i I'm an open book at this point. <laughs> it's a, uh, I remember specifically being in a McDonald's parking lot at like two to 3 AM. Um, you know, once again, my coping mechanism has always been food. I was broke. I was homesick. Um, I had almost every engine light, you know, all every light on imaginable in my car. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I didn't have the money to move back. I wanted to move back. I had only been there a couple of weeks, you know, the, just that real low point of feeling like a complete loser, stuffing my face with McDonald's, literally bawling my eyes out like a baby. And it was just like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I can't. Every day was misery when, you know, in theory, I just moved out with my best friends. You know, I should be enjoying life. This is, I'm 25 years old at the time. This should be an exciting time in my life. And instead it was pure misery. And, and I, I knew something needed to change. I couldn't continue like that anymore. Wow. I mean, in your article, you mentioned shame and embarrassment. And I think, I think that's more common than most of us realize that, that all of us kind of experience that maybe at different times or in different ways. Do you, do right. you believe that, that we all have to get to that, to, to whatever, whatever our personal threshold is, but we have to get to some depth to be able to come out of it? Or is it something we can recognize without having to go through the, the heartache and the loss and the, you know, the shame, embarrassment and things you describe? Right. I think everyone's different. Um, I think something has to happen that makes you uh, kind of wake up. For me, I was so I was so stubborn. I was in such a negative place that it took that for me to wake up. Um, but, you know, some people hear uh, like shocking news from their doctor or, or I, I do think that for a lot of people, it has to be that significant event. You know what I mean? But I, I don't think it's necessarily 100% required, but I think for most people, um, maybe who are in or, or were in that position that I was in where you're you're really, any type of advice just got, you, you know, the cold shoulder from me. I wasn't trying to hear anything. So for the person I was, yeah, it was 100% necessary. Gotcha. Uh, one of my favorite phrases is when pain increases, hearing improves. And change yeah. is hard. Change is really tough. And that saying works both ways. Like there's some change that is so great for somebody that maybe maybe their life doesn't suck bad enough for them to have to, you know, overhaul their life in a certain way. But it, it also is true, you know, the other way where like once you're sick enough, once you're sad enough, you know, once you've experienced so much hell, okay, now I'm motivated to start to address some of these things head on. Um, you mentioned right. meditation as the positive lever, the first lever that you got to pull and it was headspace, the app. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, that's awesome. So what was the format of the meditations? So, um, it's, it's guided meditation with, um, you know, a voice that's kind of pushing you through it. Um, when I first started it, they have beginner packs that are like two to three minutes long. So, you know, it's, it's a low barrier of entry. When, when people think of meditation, you know, the, the biggest thing I hear is I just can't meditate. I can't get myself to sit there for you know that amount of time. I promise you have two minutes. You do, you can sit there for two minutes and that if it wasn't for those starter packs with the very like digestible content, I don't think I would have developed the habit. Mm. So their entire way they do it is, um, you get into your breath, you focus on your breathing they give you small prompts that take you away from your breath, that you focus on different things. And the entire 
uh, process is training yourself to get back into that breath and focus on the breath. Um, it's a process that they call noting, especially with anxiety, um, that it, it gives you a sense of power over it in the sense of, so they compare it to that. And I love this analogy and because this is the way I used to think of it when, when, so when you're sitting there and you're trying to focus on your breath and these anxious thoughts come up, it's not a game of whack-a-mole where you're trying to get rid of it and force them out. Um, they compare it to lightly tapping a feather on a wine glass. It, you approach it with curiosity and understanding instead of this anger, got to get it out, you know, almost like you're, you're scared of this monster. And so what it does is not only trains you when you first start getting those anxious thoughts to get back into your breath and refocus and you get better at reframing your, your state of mind. It also teaches you to live with anxiety as something that everyone experiences and that you're not going to get to go away. It doesn't, it doesn't disappear, but you live with it better. You learn to manage it better. And so like anxiety is not something that has ever disappeared for me. I probably have the same uh, like anxious undercurrent that I've always had, but I, I approach it completely differently and I, I live with it instead of um, fearing it and kind of running away from it. Man, I love that. I love Headspace. I've used Headspace in the past. When when I used it the first mm -hmm. time, I was too cheap to pay for it. So I only had the, like, the beginner <laughs> kit and I would just like redo it all the time. And today I pay for Calm. And I think it has made an amazing difference. I started it last summer. I haven't missed a single day. And my brain is completely different than it was last year. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, they have... Um, like they call it pro packs, which is pretty much you going through it by yourself. And I think there's a ton of value in that, but in, in building any type of habit, you know, you, you need a little guidance sometimes. And, and that's what it provides. I would not be meditating if I tried to just do it myself. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, that's great. One of the benefits of meditation is something that you kind of alluded to, which is you, you notice your thoughts and your emotions, which then creates separation. It's like you're, you're yes. creating a subject object relationship. And if, if you can observe anxiety then guess what? You're not anxiety. I'm, you know, looking at my cycle clothes. I'm not my cycle clothes because I can see my cycle clothes. And that's a really important thing and helps you understand that, oh, this is just something that's popping up. It's temporary and it's going to go away and it's going to be, be replaced with something else. Yes. They, um, my favorite thing, which I, I surprised I forgot before is, um, they reiterate over and over that you are the blue sky. Um, there are clouds that are thoughts, emotions, feelings, situations, whatever it may be, relationships. Those things are finite. They come and go. But you and what makes you yourself will always be there. So those thoughts come and go, but you are the blue sky and you always remain. Uh, that's my favorite analogy for that entire, entire uh, scenario. I love that. I totally just got chills. I yeah. remember that exact lesson from Headspace. That's great. Uh, you've yeah. mentioned identities. I think another thing that mindfulness is really great with helping us out with is understanding that we're not, we're not our identities. You were a baseball right. player, you were in music and you make up these constructs of who you are in your brain. And then they, when they go away, you're in panic mode because now who, who are you? I, the, the book, the untethered soul does such a great job of showing you like you just made a construct in your brain that is nothing. It's made of thin air and you're going to judge yourself against that, but it's, it's made up. It helps you address and move past the point that yes, I played baseball, but I'm not, that's not me. Right. Yes, absolutely. That is, um, that's so important to me, especially nowadays with social media. I think um, 
I think people identify too heavily with so many external things. Um, your political party, religion, your, I mean, you see it too. You're in similar circles that I am the way you eat, you know, people, uh, identify so heavily and that becomes something that completely defines them. Uh, I try real hard to, cause I think, you know, there's some ego wrapped up in that as well. And, and I try to base my kind of identity and, and my ego, so to speak on, on my own personal growth, you know, my, my thirst for personal growth and, and for helping others. And I think when you build yourself around something that is um, anti-fragile or, or something that isn't finite, that doesn't go away, you have that forever. And, and when you build your identity on things that are concrete instead of things that may change or, or are fleeting, I think it's a way healthier existence for sure. I love that. That is so well said. So we talked about pulling levers. Meditation was the first one. You started the job. You were a little bit more physical. You started losing weight. When did diet, nutrition, and especially like low carb come into your field of consciousness? Yeah, um, it, it, it wasn't. So I think for the first, I want to say year or so, um, the, it was the physical activity of my job kind of guiding me through because it, 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 ramped up. So I, you know, I started just throwing boxes in a warehouse and then they gave me a route. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of, I was running around downtown Cincinnati all day. And, and so that continues to kind of carry me through. And I had kind of the, uh, the mentality of I would eat well all week. And then the weekends I would kind of do what I want. And then I started eating better on the weekends. And, and what I thought was better at the time was the traditional, you know, whole grains, uh, heart healthy, Cheerios for breakfast type of deal, um, which giving like my addiction and everything I know now is just not suitable for me um, long term. So I feel pretty lucky that I discovered low carb because I mean, my, my entire my entire life, not even just my 20s, I was just in this forever state of trying to lose weight and I would forever um, you know, lose the, the typical thing you hear of anyone experiencing like the standard American diet, which is lose 30 pounds, gain it back. And then some lose 40 pounds, gain it back. And then some, and that was this cycle that I was forever caught in. So I white knuckled it essentially with the same, um, you know, the same way of eating that had gotten me those results before for the first year. And I think because I was so physically active, more physically active than I had been since baseball, it kind of like evened it out. And even when I kind of fell off, it wasn't as bad. Um, but I discovered low carb through my, you know, the friends I moved in with, uh, my best friend's wife, uh, tried it for a couple months and had great results with it, suggested it to me. And I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So, uh, hence the, the food addiction. So when I dive into something like that, I, I go in, you know, full force. So I started researching, started looking stuff on up online, seeing, you know, realized that it had a lot of legitimacy to it. So I gave it a try. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing as much in the beginning. Um, I probably did it fairly dirty in the beginning, as I'm sure a lot of people do, um, you know, more, more processed foods. And, and just as long as you keep, you know, that carb threshold under 30, you kind of are good to go. And again, saw even more results. And, and that's kind of been my whole progression with my entire journey for the last five years, just continuing to iterate on what I have and try new things and use myself as, as an experiment. You know, I, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show. Now would be probably a really good time. Let's talk about dirty versus quote unquote, like Clinton keto, like the right. way most people 
who, you know, maybe just see it on like a magazine or they heard somebody talking about it. The way most people think about keto is, is actually pretty different than where I see a lot of people end up. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's the difference between dirty keto and more clean keto and like how your diet progressed? You mentioned like processed foods and things like that. I would love to deep dive into that. For sure. Um, well, I think anyone who is, um, moving from the standard American diet to, you know, full of processed foods, stuff from boxes, you know what I mean? Um, pop tarts, that sort of thing. Any, anyone who is moving from that to a ketogenic diet needs some sort of filler to fill the gap from, uh, what the way they were eating to what I think is, is where everyone should aim to be, which is just real whole foods, whether it's, you know, mostly, uh, plant and animal foods is my opinion of, of the kind of like optimal way to eat. And I think the best way to get there is to use some of those, you know, processed foods, keto treats, quest bars, um, you know, you name it, rebel ice cream. Again, I, I call that dirty keto because at that point you're dealing with, um, all kinds of like, you know, tapioca starch and, uh, just like, a bunch of, you know, uh, sugar alcohols and, and things that, you know, are not real whole foods and they are great in between, in my opinion, and they are great every once in a while, um, as a treat, instead of going for the real thing. You know, if I want ice cream and I get a, you know, a carton of rebel that does me a lot better than going to the real thing and potentially unraveling with the kind of addiction type of scenario that I have. Um, but I would, I would classify dirty keto as, as processed foods, the, the stuff, um, you know, the, the processed slim gym type meat sticks, um, just the, the processed foods, you know, with, with all the sugar alcohols and the sweeteners. And again, I, I have nothing against, you know, monk fruit or, or stevia or any of the sweeteners. Um, but when they are a regular part of your diet, it poses the same type of problem for someone who, um, taste that sweet thing and it tends to unravel them the way it does for me. Yeah, that is perfect. So well explained. And I love that you use the word bridge. Like, look, if you're transitioning from standard American, anything is better than the bullshit you're going to be eating on a standard American diet. Like do it's <laughs> keto cupcakes, go for it. It's funny. I remember when I was first you know, like really getting into low carb and I gave somebody a meal plan and she wasn't very good at cooking. And, um, she, she sat down in the aisle of the grocery store because she couldn't find arrowroot powder, <laughs> which to this day, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So I really shouldn't have yeah. given her that meal plan. Um, so, so what does your diet look like today? Like, what are some of the things that you do include and you have kept in your diet? Yeah. So, uh, I've, you know, it's, it's been just a constant evolution. I eventually kind of landed on priority, you know, with, with research and with more education and with reading and, and, you know, you, you land on real whole foods as whenever possible. Um, and, and now I've even kind of transitioned to more of a, uh, like carnivore ish, uh, animal based diet, nutrient density, prioritizing protein. And so as I started to get into that world, um, I fell into the, you know, Ted Naiman school of, of nutrition, which I, in my opinion, like if I were to recommend anyone who wants to, you know, start trying to lose weight or get healthier, I would recommend the PE diet to, to really anyone because, um, to me, I think he has such a good, um, 
just a good overview of, of what is required to lose weight of, of just the basics. And he has so many good diagrams and digestible co- uh, content within that book that he, it's easy for me to say, show a client and them to understand how um, different mechanisms work within their body. And, and when you understand, it makes you more likely to like adhere to whatever plan that you're, you're working on. So at this point, I'm, I'm mostly animal-based. I would say um, a lot of, a lot of beef, uh, ground beef, eggs. Um, I take organ supplements cause I've tried so hard. I cannot do liver. I just can't do it. So I take, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I take organ supplements, um, a lot of ribeyes. Uh, so I, I, I prioritize protein first and foremost. Um, and then I, you know, as I want them, I add other things in such as, you know, like, uh, peppers, leafy greens. And those to me are more b- because I, um, I want them and, and I enjoy eating them. Not as much me thinking that I have to get a kale and spinach threshold in my system to get, you know, a certain amount of, of nutrients. I, I am getting like, uh, hitting all of my nutritional gaps from the meat and organs that I'm eating. And then the vegetables to me are more of an enjoyment type of thing. And again, um, Ted Naiman doesn't necessarily, uh, like fear carbs or, or demonize carbs. It's more kind of an energy balance situation. And I, I talk to people, especially friends of mine who, who ask me my opinion on things like, this is my version of kind of the PE diet for myself. This is what I've landed on factoring in my addiction, my tendency to really overeat. Like this is what works for me. It's a carnivore version of the PE diet. If someone else doesn't have that, that situation, for instance, my brother, my entire life was able to eat a bite of a cookie and put it back. That is in no way, shape or form me. So, uh, you know, if he deals well with that, he doesn't suffer from the addiction. He handles carbs. Well, you know, I don't see a reason for he's, he's been a healthy weight his whole life. If he's trying to eat a little better, I would prioritize protein and real whole foods for him. I wouldn't say carbs are evil. If someone has the addiction thing that I do, I would suggest maybe cutting the carbs out and trying to, you know, go more of a low carb route. Uh, again, still, I, I think protein prioritization and and real whole foods is is the way to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, after doing this for a lot of time, I feel like your brother is actually in the minority, not in the majority. I think most people think they can moderate. I always thought that about myself. I can't moderate. There's no way. I ate an entire pie right. a few weekends ago. Like, <laughs> awful, terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know it very well. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do such a great job, um, posting pictures of your food. Um, it, I, dude, I can count on one hand, like positive influences on Twitter these days. And you're definitely one of them, uh, sharing Thank your you. message and sharing, um, you know, the, the food that you cook. I'm wondering if, if the food that you're cooking now is more elaborate than it has been in the past, or if it's more simple now. Definitely more simple. Um, I, it's funny because I, I don't think everyone is like me where I'm almost I'm almost like a dog. I can eat the same thing over and over and over and I don't really get tired of it. Um, so, you know, when I first started with keto, I would make these elaborate omelets with spinach and pepperoni and salami and cheese and whatever. And, and now it's literally for the most part, if I'm eating how I want, uh, I will after I work out, I will have ground beef and eggs. And for like my second meal, I'll usually have a ribeye and some shrimp or some salmon or whatever. It's, it's pretty standard. Just toss some meat on the grill, 
call it a day. Um, so that, yeah, it's definitely gotten less elaborate. That's perfect. Yeah. We notice the same thing. We cycle through the same, like three, maybe four meals pretty constantly and just cannot ever get sick of them. They're so tasty. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, I don't know if you can identify which one made the biggest difference, but if you could just, if you had a hunch on whether the meditation was better for your anxiety or the diet was better for your anxiety, or do you believe it was like highly synergistic by changing the two, um, and, and addressing anxiety in your life? Yeah, I, I really think it's like a a chicken or the egg scenario. Yeah, I, yeah. I I think it's I think it's both. Um, and and I think for everyone, you have to get one right first, and then the other will inevitably follow. I think they're so closely connected. I, I talk about that all the time, body mind connection, um, and, and just how important it is. I had to get my mind right before I got my body right, but I I think I probably would have had a similar, uh, like course of action if I took it the other way around. Um, but for me, like finally quieting the anxiety and and having a way to deal with the depression made me want to continue and, and like kind of led to everything else that followed. But I think it could for sure go the other way for people too. I think they're very, very connected. And I don't think I'd be where I am today if it wasn't for both of them. Yeah. I love that. The morning after I ate the pie, dude, I was so anxious, so crazy anxious. Like everything was failing all of a sudden. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk so much about momentum, which I love. Um, while we're kind of talking about this, what other things started mm -hmm. to change for you over time? Like, I'm curious about your exercise routines or what other ways did this momentum continue building like a, a snowball for you? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know which, I think it was, um, kind of starting to exercise and train again outside of work. Um, cause again, in, in my high school baseball days, that was such a love and uh, passion that I had. And, you know, I, I fell out of love with it and to the point where I, I hated it and thought of exercise as only a punishment. And then somewhere along the line, um, it became like, I wanted to see what, what I could do again. I wanted to, uh, push the boundaries and see what like kind of this new body was capable of. And so I kind of fell in love with that again, which, you know, again, that all or nothing type of mentality, I fell way in love with it. And now, you know, I, when I don't train, when I don't work out, I don't really feel right. It's just the same exact thing as me, you know, your experience with the pie, uh, me, if I don't, uh, meditate, like it's, it's all those things together. Um, but as, as far as momentum goes, I, have always been that all or nothing person. So I took extreme measures to try and like lose weight or whatever. And one thing that I did differently this time that I, again, I think it's key to my success is I started doing little things. Um, I started jumping rope in my backyard in addition to work. And then I added on to it. I got two 25 pound dumbbells and again, like my, my brother and, and my father have always been in good shape. And, and I, you know, worked out all through high school. I've always known what to do. I uh, just never did it. So I started implementing, you know, a couple things here and there and, and built on it and built on it and then eventually got a gym membership. Um, and, 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 you know, again, it kept snowballing from there and, and it wasn't just the training though, like the, you know, even the iterations I, I, um, I took on like, uh, on low carb, like it went from dirty to more whole food based. And then I started, you know, I pulled the lever of fasting and then, you know, from, from 14 hours to 16 hours to 18. And, and now I'm pretty much, uh, 
you know, 20 hours fasted pretty much every day. And, and I think it's just small incremental changes leading up to that big picture goal are, are everything. Um, because in the past I would have these big ambitious goals and it's, it's daunting and it's overwhelming and you think there's no possible way you're ever going to get there. And so you just stop. And when you set yourself little small weekly goals that lead up to that big picture, that's, that's the way to get it done. In my opinion. Absolutely. The best way to eat an elephant was one bite at a time. <laughs> it's <laughs> intimidating. Right. It really is intimidating. I mean, people will look at your, you know, your before and after picture, which by the way, like what an amazing change. <laughs> it's so cool. It's one of the, I appreciate it. my favorite things to tell people is when they're starting to take a before picture, don't share it with anybody, just have it with you because the visible change that you're going to see is a lot different than even what the scale is going to tell you. I'd love, I love that you mentioned in your article, like compounding results. And you just talked about it. Like you have yeah. to get a start and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's maybe for you, that's walking into on to, like walking to the mailbox or something. I had a friend yeah. who like would, would walk to the gym, walk into the gym. And even if they didn't work out, they would just like walk right back out. But that started to establish the habit of like, okay, every day at 10, I'm going to the gym, regardless if I walk right back out again. And sure enough, they started working out. They started seeing better results. And that, that's a catalyst for so much other change. So cool. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I compare it to a snowball all the time, like the way almost like an avalanche happens where you get like this small little snowball. And as it picks up momentum and rolls down the hill, it gains mass and speed and just keeps going. And, and I think that's, that's such, so applicable to life. I love that. When did you decide to start sharing your message with others? Uh, it was, uh, the, towards like the summer ish of 2019. Um, I was in a spot with FedEx where I was starting to, uh, I went through their management program and I was about to, um, start to apply for positions and was kind of getting into that more corporate type of role. And, and I kind of, um, I, I've always wanted to, like, I, I was, throwing around the idea of, of like starting to write again, like kind of sharing my story. And cause I've always enjoyed writing, you know, obviously with music, but I'd never tried like long form writing, uh, before aside from like school and, and whatever. So, uh, I don't know. I reached this point where I was going through their management program. I was, uh, you know, putting together my portfolio for them for, you know, and was going to start applying for all these jobs. And, and I was just kind of like, is this really what I want to do? Do I really want to get involved in, in the corporate world of, of import and export? You know what I mean? Uh, is this really something that, that is going to like make me happy? And, and that's like, I started to prioritize my own mental well-being and happiness uh, more than anything else at that point. And it just wasn't, it was, it was, you know, I was going in every day and, and seeing working with my manager and seeing what the job actually was. And again, just the corporate nature of all of it, 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 it just turned me off completely. And um, yeah, I just, I kind of made a decision. It was, uh, I, I remember I came home um, for the birth of my nephew. It was November of 2019. And that's another thing, you know, I was always working on weird schedules in Cincinnati. So it was always a flight to come home. I could never just like, uh, you know, up and drive the 12 hours or whatever home to New York. So I was away from my family for so long. Um, I came and kind of got the the family experience again of 
being here for the birth of my nephew. And, and I was just sitting there with family, with, with friends. And was just like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so I, I decided that I was going to come home. Uh, I didn't want to pay to live while going back to school, but I was going to come home, go back to school and, uh, and try to do this full time. And I didn't know what yet I was kind of playing around with the idea of becoming a dietitian. Um, what wasn't sure exactly the route I wanted to take, but I knew I wanted to like kind of be the person that I would have needed, um, at that time when I was struggling. Mm, I love that, man. Tell us about the certification you ended up getting. What was that like? Uh, it, it was awesome. I, um, so when I was, I was originally looking to potentially, um, go the dietitian route to me, health coaching was a way for me to use like my skill set. um, in the best way possible. Growing up, I've always been kind of the advice guy to friends and family. It's uh, kind of just always been my thing. I could always give advice, but never could take it myself. Um, and so now I finally, you know, could still give advice, but also have the practical application of it and the real life experience of using my advice for once. Um, and also going through health coaching was to me, the quickest way to get from point A to B to start helping people and, and to start, uh, you know, just helping people change. So I, I even still, you know, I still might go back to school and, and, um, pursue like additional qualifications. I'm even, you know, the psychology route has been an idea in my head, but, um, so I started, it was a year long program, um, with Dr. Sears, the first, uh, three to four months or so was kind of nutrition, uh, chronic disease, all the basics that I've kind of, you know, had down for a while already, but it was a nice, you know, refresher in it. Um, and then in order to qualify for the board exam, I had to take their master certification, which started from November to May. And that to me, like, you know, again, the, the nutrition stuff was, was very, you know, it was useful, it was valuable, the chronic disease, uh, and, and everything to do with that was great, but it was more of a refresher. The second half of it, uh, November to May was, motivational interviewing, uh, appreciative inquiry, and just really getting really down into the psychology of behavior change, what works, what doesn't. Um, and, and that to me was, was incredible that that was like where I felt I really got my money's worth learning how to communicate with people. Again, like a lot of things that I had done already intuitively, just from kind of always being that advice guy and being the guy people vented to, but, but it, it not only kind of reaffirmed that I had the right idea and gave me more confidence in that. Right. But like just the amount of, um, techniques and, and tricks and, and just, um, enhancing my ability to communicate. I actually really think from hearing, you know, the struggles of friends and family who are working, you know, various jobs in different industries, I think everyone could use some sort of communication course where they're trained in, in at least motivational interviewing or something like that, because, um, those skills are, are super valuable in my opinion. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I mean, we half jokingly say that there's a reason we cle we keep a box of Kleenexes in the nutrition consultation area because you, yeah. you, they will be used. Um, I'm really curious to hear about motivational interviewing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's a strength-based approach to communication. So something that is, um, they've discovered through, you know, just years and years of research and data is, is the deficit model, what they call it, that used to, you know, they used to implement in, in, 
like recovery programs and psychology, more pointing out someone's flaws and trying to fix them isn't nearly as effective as highlighting their strengths, um, using, you know, self-efficacy, which is my, honestly, my favorite thing in the world, you know, previous accomplishments and strengths, uh, or to build strength and, and show how you can make future changes in your life. Um, but to use that strength positive based approach, um, based on empathy, based on, um, really honoring the client and, and that person's like autonomy and understanding that they're an expert of themselves, that you are not, um, you're not this person that's going to bark orders at them and they're going to listen. That, that approach just is antiquated. It's old. It's, it's been scientifically proven not to work. And, um, so it, that's essentially the basis behind it is that strength-based approach. And, um, it's, it's using open-ended questions, using reflections, affirmations, um, again, instead of, they, they call it avoiding the, the expert trap instead of, you know, they clearly know what's best for them and you're there to guide them to discover that themselves and, and to guide them to formulate a plan to like pull themselves out of that position instead of barking orders at them, almost like a teacher student relationship. Instead, it's more of a tour guide relationship. Yeah, I love that. It took me a long time to learn, man, that most people who need some coaching, they really almost need like a sounding board. It's it's like you're a mirror and and they just need to, you know, affirm a few things or bounce some ideas back and forth. And at the end of the day, the coach can't run the, the athlete's mile. Like I can't do right. your life. You have to choose your life. So here's an idea and here's another idea in which do you think you would like to try to implement and let's see if it works. It's a totally different paradigm than you're right. Like a, a student teacher relationship. I love that. So where do you see your uh, coaching going in the future? Uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty up in the air for right now. I'm, uh, at the moment shopping around different jobs, uh, been uh, going on interviews for the last couple of weeks and uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm uh, hoping to land in the right position, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm look, looking for a home right now. So that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm at currently. That's great. And you've got your big exam in October. Yep. 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 So what does that involve? So that is, so I've actually, uh, again, with Dr. Sears, I'm, I'm pretty thankful that they offer a, um, a study course, so for the last, uh, you know, from June all the way up until the test, um, I have monthly uh, classes that I meet with, and then I have an individual study group that meets weekly. So it's it's nice. They kind of give you an outline of the test, and it's a lot of scenario-based um, coaching situations, kind of what would you do in this situation type of deal. And then um, obviously the like chronic disease and uh, biology section as well. So but it's, it's, I'd say from what I've heard, it's like probably 80 ish percent, uh, scenario based and, and kind of practical application of coaching. And then the other 20% is, is, you know, chronic disease and, and biology and nutrition and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. That sounds pretty intense. <laughs> wish you the mm -hmm. best of luck for that. Um, I'm curious, I'm curious, what, what would you say your definition of success is and would you define yourself as successful by your own definition? <clears throat> That is a, uh, that's a serious question. It's a doozy. My definition of success for me, at least, uh, I think is living the exact life that I want to live on, like on my terms. Um, and to me that is financial freedom or earning, earning enough to live a 
comfortable, happy life the way I want to. Um, continuing to work on my own, you know, personal growth and continuing to help others and, and help pull them out of the situations that I used to be in. Um, and I think that that to me is success. You just said, you just said one of my favorite words and most perplexing and difficult to comprehend in my own life, which is enough. When, when do you know it's enough? Um, is that something you struggle with as well? Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I, I, again, like I, I suffer from that, that all or nothing type of mentality. So, um, that's something I struggle with was even, is even like doing enough, uh, on like a work scale on a productivity scale. You, you know what I mean? Like when, when is, is enough. And I don't think I, uh, I don't think I do well with enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, as far as school goes, I mean, school, as far as food goes, um, that type of deal. So I, I don't know when is enough, but I think more than the, if you're speaking money wise, when is enough? Um, to cover my bases and do what I love, which is again, you know, like working on my, my personal growth and, and helping people. And, and as long as I could be doing both of those, have the bills paid, live comfortably, make enough to, um, continue to, uh, buy the foods that I know are going to keep me healthy. You know, obviously, um, it's, it's not the cheapest of things to, to eat right. So as long as I have all my bases covered, and I feel, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not, I feel comfortable. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I'm able to still do what I love. I, I, I guess that's enough. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's a really great definition. And yeah, we struggle with that too. It's, it's really, it's really tough when you're driven and motivated and you want to go help people. There still has to be a time at the end of the day where you close the laptop and say, what I gave today was what I gave. And that's got to be enough. And that's really very challenging to find that in our lives. I think definitely, definitely. I've, and- I've had to write it into my schedule to take time off. Cause it, it, I get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. It's so cool to kind of see you on the come up, um, you know, using your passion, already sharing that message and helping so many people and knowing that, you know, whatever iteration this takes in your life, you're, you're going to continue following your bliss and doing the things that, that bring you drive and, and inspire you. And it's, it's to help people, man. It's, it's helping other people. It's just really amazing. And we're so grateful for you and for all your work. What is one simple tip that you would like to leave with the listener from this conversation? Simple tip. Um, small incremental steps, take that, that big picture goal and break it down into small achievable goals that you'll know, you know, you'll achieve each week, whatever it is. I don't care if it has to do with even health or, or otherwise. I think small, little incremental changes is the way. I was hoping you were going to say that. That is wonderful advice. <laughs> Dan Cadmus, where can people go to find you and connect with you? Um, they can find me on Twitter at uh, Daniel Cadmus. They can find me on Instagram at Dan Cadmus. And on Medium is where my blogs are at Dan underscore Cadmus. That is awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Like I said, man, we are so grateful for you and for your journey. Um, not always the easiest times and, and you're right, like not that easy to share afterwards, but, but for you to address it and to come out the other side and not be ashamed or embarrassed by it and to actually put it out into the world, I think is incredible. Your writing's amazing. Your message is amazing. We're just so grateful for you and everything you've done and for you to come onto our show today. We really appreciate it. 
Uh, thank you so much, Casey. Seriously, that that means a lot. And uh, thank you for having me. It's been it's been a blast. I could talk about this forever. So thank you so much for for having me on. Dude, you are more than welcome to come back anytime when you're getting up and running. Let's have you back on and, and discuss what's gone on since uh, since today. It'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. I'd love to. That would be great. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 